Welcome to CarCast in Edmonds. I'm Matt, the moderator, DeAndre, here with Alistair Weaver. How are you? Good it's, morning, everybody, or whenever you're listening to this. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if morning makes a difference. Everybody kind of listens and whenever, but um, morning for us. I used to do radio, and then you could kind of arrive and leave, and everybody knew what time yeah. of the day it was. But anyway, where, wherever uh, you are, wherever you're listening. We were just chatting and kind of getting into it a little bit, kind of behind the scenes of, uh, of you know, just doing these shows. It's like one of us is landing on a, in, in, you know, on a plane and trying to get to the, and the other one's getting ready to leave and, and, you know, leave the country. And, uh, there's just, uh, it's kind of a, a hectic schedule. It's, it's weird when you get, when you do the podcast, but the podcasts aren't really like a full-time gig or anything. We're just trying to, I don't know, have some fun, create some content. And it actually gets complicated to schedule that. And you go, Hey, this is the fun part of my week. And then you're like, I know, but it's tough to schedule the fun part of your, of your week. This is like a, this is like light relief. This is my like hour of movie time or me and Matt times. Good. Right. And it's an hour because you're on the air. You get to go. Nobody call me. Nobody text me. Nobody come into my office. Nobody just like leave me alone for an hour. Turn off all my communication. Whatever, ha- whatever problem happens in yeah. the next hour, I'm, I'm live. That's it. Yeah. Just, just leave me, leave me out of it. Um, Anyway, that being said, we've uh, we got some fun stuff. I want to bring up uh, the latest U Drags video. Uh, looked like you guys were having fun up there. Now you're just pairing stuff together for for shits and giggles. I think. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a sort of science behind it. For, uh, for if you're listening for the first time or don't know what we're talking about, the Edmunds U Drag, we were looking at a concept. We were looking at everybody was doing drag races, including us, and it was like oh, it's getting a bit hackneyed and. You know, I was getting a bit bored of it. And also, it didn't really feel very us in that it's just straight line. There's not a lot of skill involved. So we came up with this idea that how can we create a U-drag? So basically, it's a test not just of straight line, but then a breaking, of cornering. So it's all over our YouTube channel. But if you basically, it's a straight line, it's it's a hard break, it's a corner, and then you've got to accelerate back along the course to basically the finish line is the start line. And it's been a huge success for us. People seem to love the idea that you've got a bit more kind of finesse to it than just a, just a drag race. And because we test all the vehicles at our test track, we have a, you know, we basically have a spreadsheet of quarter miles and braking performance and ultimate grip and everything else from our test results. So we just go through that and try and pair up vehicles that we think will be a of interest and be a close race. Cause Nobody wants to turn up and like one, you know, one car wins by 20 lengths. So we try and make it as close as possible. We never fake it on the day, but we do go to some length to make sure that we are pairing cars that are some way comparable. Um, So we came up with Durango Hellcat versus Audi RS Q8. So you've got kind of American, American brute force versus, you know, German finesse and, you know, engineering and all that, all that good stuff. Yeah. And I, I thought it was a pretty um, good pairing. Little... Durango's a little, a little hefty. I think, I think, although it's still out, I think like Jeep Trackhawk is probably the more like heads up, but I don't think you guys have one of those. <laughs> I don't think many people have one of those right now. <laughs> no, we've had them. We've had them in, but, but also we, yeah, it's, the Durango is kind of funny. I love the idea of a three row 
with a 6.2 litre V8 and 710 horsepower. And the big difference on the Durango, of course, is it's all-wheel drive in a way that the Challenger and stuff aren't. So we had a Challenger Black Ghost in which on, on a U-drag against a GT500 and others, and it really struggled because it just cannot put the power down. But the Durango is really big and heavy and has all-wheel drive. Yeah. So actually does a far better job of, of getting off the line. And I don't want to give the video away, but we're kind of giving the video away here, aren't we? But it's it's just super close. And the Durango is just hilarious because it's just so big and brutish. And even the gearbox is pretty crude these days. Yeah. But it's just got 700 plus horsepower. So it's really fast. And then when it comes to braking, you basically just mash the middle pedal with all the force that you can muster. And it and the Audi's on it was on carbon ceramic brakes. So that just felt like a sports car. And the Durango, you basically just had to mash the, the brake pedal, get it stopped, and then classic slow in fast out, turn it, and then just fire it out and let the power let the power do the rest. But it was it was really funny. But they both got big brakes. Right. The Durango's got the big Brembo's or something on it. I mean, you know, steel, but not the carbon ceramic, but it's got a it's got a pretty big brake on it. Right. So yeah, we're looking at what we're looking at. It does 710 horsepower. I don't know, 5,500 pounds. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Versus the Audi 590 horsepower, which sounds significantly less than the 710 when you, when you look at it that way, but where does the Audi come yeah. in? Uh, uh, how much does the Audi weigh? If you recall. Uh, I can't wait. I think it's it's lighter than the Hellcat. Uh, I can't remember how much, but also you've just got a more, you know, it's not as we we found out in the past. It's also about like how sophisticated the gearbox is, you know, ultimately what's the ultimate grip and everything else. So, um, I don't want to give the game away, but it's a great. It was a great film, and it ended up going down to the final run to 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 determine the winner, which none of us really expected. How many? So how many times? It was. It was do you typically run them when you when you do like the two it's drivers at least do so a we, pass and then switch cars and do it again yeah so we we try not to do we try not to do too many i mean it's a difficult one because you like you want it to be representative because we're trying to make it about vehicle versus vehicle and not just a test of driver which is also why we swap drivers and run in each car so we generally get up there and we do a couple of practice runs and pick your braking point, get a feel for the car. And then, you know, if we if somebody says actually I need to, I need another run, I'm not, you know, I'm not in tune yet, we'll we'll take that opportunity. And then there are occasions where like one of us has a brain fade or, you know, maybe the brakes are going off and you miss the you miss the apex and maybe we do an extra run. But we try not to, partly because it's quite an expensive pursuit. We need to get through a lot of races in a day to make it viable. Uh, and partly because we want to keep it real. There's a lot of drag races that you see on YouTube where, you know, if you work in the film industry, as you do as well, Mark, you know, you can see how it's cut together and they sort of, you know, create yeah. a bit of drama out of nothing. Whereas what we're trying to do is, you know, is give something that's a lot more realistic. And that's why we also show, you know, the the raw footage of the run at the end of the, the film as well. So it puts a bit of pressure on the drivers. You know, you've got a crew of like, I don't know, 20 people up there and, off you go, and then if you if you screw it up, you just know there's twenty people sat there in the heat, just chastely pissed. Yeah, I I, I we still gonna have to find some time to maybe take your uh, GT five hundred up against my Mach one twin turbo because I feel like they're very similar 
And what are you doing next week? We're going up next week. I'm not going personally. I'm in Spain on a Volvo event. But are you going? Are you ready here around next week? Um, I I am. I haven't. I haven't like dynoed the car. I feel like I need to get some numbers from from the car. Maybe we should do it when you come back. I I kind of feel like you need you need to be there so we can get a little face to face camera time. Uh, but I I I fear your GT500 is on the Pilot Cup Sport tires, and I although I have the performance pack. I took those tires off and put the Michelin 4S's on there. It's just a more comfortable tire. Uh, so it, it I, I think there's going to be a little bit like of a tire can't... disadvantage, although I'm, I'm down, I'm, I'm down to, to do it, but I want to come in with some numbers on my car. And uh, because I don't know if, you know, we've, we've got, we've got the boost really kind of turned down about six pounds of boost. Um, and I really don't know if that's putting, you know, 630 to the rear wheels or is it, you know, I, I don't know where it really compares completely to the GT500. Now we can play around with it, I'm sure, but that's how we kind of have it set up mostly for California's terrible gas. But yeah, I just kind of think turbo versus supercharger and manual transmission versus DCT. What does that do? Uh, and also what I'm enjoying about all of this, Matt, is the fact that, you know, in, in true racing fashion, you're getting all the caveats in early. It's got a manual, hasn't got the right tires on it, hasn't been dynoed. This is like the best karting dad. That's how you do it. That's how you do drag racing, right? You gotta you gotta go yeah. through all your all your issues ahead of time. I I don't think yeah, I first of all, I, I don't think they're 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 caveats the tire thing maybe because because i had it came with the with the with the cup wheels the tires and then i don't have them anymore but i i don't care if it's manual versus uh, dct i think the manual is more fun and uh i like that car maybe the dct is going to be faster on paper it should be faster but but who knows like what it's really going to end up being you know does that expression karting dad work in america is that a britishism the what? Do you know what I mean by carting dad when I say carting dad? No. What is that? No. Does that translate? Okay. So probably worth, worth, worth explaining. So, you know, like you have like a, a soccer dad or a football dad, you know, stands on the on the sideline and screams at yeah. the kids or at yeah, the referee yeah. or whatever it may be. So the ultimate expression of that is like a carting dad. So if you ever went to, uh, this is obviously like where you, you know, Verstappen's and Yolando Norris and all those guys came through in Hamilton. They all came through the European karting scene. And if you ever go to those races, like every dad there has like got some six-year-old kid who th he thinks is going to be the next Hamilton or Verstappen. And so you just, it just generates this personality type yeah. who is just so, you know, obsessive about, you know, somebody breaking the rules or screaming at the kids or just, so it became this expression, like, you know, the ultimate karting dad. And I've seen quite a lot of evidence of that in my career. Oh, I, 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 I can't I wait to be that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be that at the at the U-Drags event. If you guys are going to drive my car, I'm going to be on the sidelines either screaming my praise or disappointment in whoever's driving my car. <laughs> so you can be on YouTube. It's, it's funny. People have described me. I've been quite pleased this week because the Durang, on the Durango film, you know, you get 
depending on how wins like everybody has an opinion on like you've driven this badly and i was getting lots of driving driving tips about everything that we did wrong and every everything else but i did enjoy this week that people were describing me as the blonde guy as opposed to the gray the graying guy which is what i normally get <laughs> so. yeah anyway, what there? I think color, what we should do Matt, actually, is we should, yeah nah, nah, i'm going silver fox gracefully um <laughs> what i think we should do is is do the um we should get you down the two. So we should do. We should get your car down the Edmunds test track. Run a full set of numbers um, on it, so we know where we stand. And then we'll get. We, then we can take it to you, Drags. All right, I'll start. So I guess it. we could do like Dino test track. Then we'll yeah. find out. Okay, it's a fair competition. And then we can when we can put some money down. I got to start thinking all my little cheats and hacks to put in the car that I didn't get to do yet. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I'm if not very sure lucky, we'll is. give you a new. If you're very lucky, we'll give you a new Edmunds U Drag T-shirt, which is oh, sweet. Only if I win, right? Otherwise, I got the I lost, and all I got was yes, this exactly. U Drags T-shirt kind of shirt. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it'll be. I don't think it'll be fun to do and see if uh, all the money I spent was worth it on a car, or should have just bought the GT500. <laughs> I'm assuming that your vehicle is now well in excess of a GT500. It has to be, right? Honestly, for in terms of cash on the table, uh, yes, yes. As far as price, yes. As far as power, I I don't think so. I think we might be very similar. Like crank horsepower, we might be because that's a you got a bigger engine in the in the GT five hundred. You know, we do. Um, so just the displacement there yeah, alone. Well, I think is, the the supercharge is like two point three liters or something. Yeah. That's yeah, that's that's a whole nother engine. That's like a Honda engine on top of a yes, exactly. of a V eight yeah. engine. <laughs> um, all right, so so going from the 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 loud and and brutal, you know, Durango and GT five hundred, uh, you started uh, getting into the to the fancy and glamour of of not just Mercedes AMG, but Maybach. Yeah, we spent the the week in two. My backs now. Maybe it's worth just going. Well, you and I were talk, talking about it off there. Maybe it's worth just going back to like the origins of where my back comes from because I've actually followed its journey. So, back the in the 1930s, the brand, yeah, yeah the brand. So, right. back in the 1930s, my back was a luxury rival to Mercedes and slightly. There's a lot of things Germany in the 1930s, slightly checkered, checkered history to a certain extent. But then but then you ended up... Uh, there, so then Mercedes got into the... This would be the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And they now basically had diversified their brand so much that they were like, you know, they're really rich people. You know, the S-Class is nice, but it's kind of like an airport chauffeur car. And if you're properly rich, you're not... You don't want to walk into a bar and say, I drive a Mercedes. The brand brand can't stretch enough. <clears throat> so they came up with this idea of, let's do a Mercedes Maybach. And then somewhere along the journey, they said, actually, let's not do the Mercedes bit. Let's just call it a Maybach. So right. you ended up then launching two vehicles, the 57 and the 62. This is pre the big crash, 2008 and everything. And I got invited. As quite a young guy, mid twenties or something, this bizarre invitation arrived. Could I fly Concorde, when that exists, to New York for the debut of this Maybach? So of course, like I looked at that and went, eh, 
you know, this is um, this is a once in a lifetime. Yeah, fly on the so Concorde. So I flew. Awesome. I, I flew on the Concorde, which I'm so glad I did because yeah, I'm a big speed engineering fan and just an unbelievable experience. Gwyneth Paltrow was on the flight. I remember that as well. Uh, very <laughs> exciting if you're 25. And the whole idea of flying as Concorde and stuff into, into New York was they, they wanted to position this car as a genuine Rolls-Royce Bentley rival. That was the yeah. premise of it. This was going to be a whole new brand, a whole new level of luxury. And they said, look, you guys, if you're going to come and report on this car, have to understand the mindset of the Maybach buyer. So we're going to fly you on Gongord. We're going to give you this experience because you've got to get inside that. You've got to get inside that mindset. Fine, no problem. So we landed in New York. They brought this car in off the QE2. Arrived in Wall Street, and I always remember because the car was a bit. I remember that car, but it was a strange thing because it looked like a big Mercedes S-Class because that right. was how it was originally designed, not as a Maybach. But then the 62 had like business class. Air, aircraft style seats in the back and at the time that was a big deal and it was going to be this new level of, of luxury and i just remember somebody on wall street in a classic wall street fashion we're looking at this thing and he walked up and he went you know how much is it i forget now it's probably like three or four hundred grand and he looked at me and he went it's not enough too many people can afford it and walked <laughs> off and like you know like is he being seriously realized he's been like deadly serious yeah it's like yeah not not exclusive enough, not interested, walked off. And he, the brand didn't do very well at all. The car didn't sell great because it just looked a bit like an overblown S-Class. It was a bit like naff inside. And people also realize that business class air travel sounds nice if you're flying coach, but isn't actually a definition of luxury. Whereas Rolls-Royce came along with a Phantom, which may not have had all the fancy tricks, but just felt, you know, felt like a world apart. It so had a big sort of presence my here. back. Yeah, Massive like, uh, yeah, yeah, and then uh, Bentley was doing its thing. Yeah, both of those cars, they, and still as the brand, still had a big presence. And for the for the for the first like I don't know twenty twelve ish or whatever, uh, Maybach to have just look like a two tone giant S class didn't quite do it on the exterior. Was it as late as twenty twelve? I thought it was really not, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I don't um, know when it came out but originally, the, but yeah, somewhere around there. I forget, but uh. So anyway, this thing's so so this didn't really didn't really work as a concept, but it, the Maybach idea never really went away. And then in recent times, Mercedes have brought it back as a sort of luxury version of an S class. So you can now get an EQ, you can now get a EQS Maybach, which is the um, electric one. You can get a GLS Maybach, which is the gas three row. Uh, gas, well, it's not three row. I'll come to that. Is it SUV? Or you can get a Maybach version of the S-Class sedan. And they're all the idea is really that if you want performance, you have now Mercedes AMG. And if you want luxury, ultimate luxury, you have Mercedes Maybach. And it's kind of working out a lot better for them that it's just, it's quite, they're not as expensive as a Rolls. They're sort of competing maybe a little bit sub-Bentley or around the sort of Bentley mark on something like a Bentayga. But they're just a, a nicely executed, super luxurious car. And what they've done with the GLS that we had in last week is basically, this is a big three row, but they've ripped out the third row, moved the car, and then basically re-engineered the, the rear quarters so that you've got um, so that you've got two kind of business class style chairs that, you know, that 
feet rest comes up and you can kind of you've got tables that fold out and you know if you're being chauffeured around and you know some uber exec that you know time is money then it's a really nice way to travel and the the suspension and the ride quality and the overall refinement i don't think i've ever driven a vehicle with a better ride quality and refinement is uh, rolls royce is going to take event uh offense to that because they they might and i haven't driven the i haven't driven the um electric rolls royce yet that their, might be their ma- that magic might carpet ride it. is is pretty on point it's pretty nice yeah yeah, they the do problem with the Maybach, it still feels like what it is, which is a Mercedes that's been tarted up and, you know, given, you know, sort of added a fancier leather and that sort of thing. The other thing that was crazy, I was due to take, I was due to take it, take it away, but then the trunk that the car that we had was filled with, you got like little space for champagne flutes between yeah. the seats, which is kind of cute. And then behind that, a fridge. The problem is because you this is kind of engineered from a GLS, there's nowhere really to put the fridge. So the fridge basically takes over the trunk. So there's a whole bunch of there's a certain compromise that come with it. But we drove that and then also in the last week, not me personally, but one of the team went and drove the EQS MyBack, which is the electric MyBack. And to your point about like electric cars and ultimate luxury just go really hand in hand because they're right. so quiet, so talky and all the rest of it. Yeah. Tell me about Mercedes, your thoughts on Mercedes design. It seems like for a handful of years now, we were all sort of cringing at BMW's design. And then BM and then Mercedes came out and with a focus on EV. And and I get it. They're like, it's gotta be super aerodynamic. Like it's gotta be the slickest thing out there. So it's quiet wind noise and the best range, most efficiency, you know, and the way to do it is just make it as slick as possible, but it's just, it's just not, it's not really working for me. It's just, uh, they all just look like a weird egg and, and the Maybach version now is just, now it's just like a two-tone egg. Now it's starting to border on some kind <laughs> of shame. Easter, some Easter egg. <laughs> like it's just, and, and, I, I was like, I just got to, maybe it's, you know, it's in the photos. I got to see it in person. And I, you know, and I drove the, the electric SUV and the sedan and it's, it's a nice car to drive. Uh, uh, the interior is, is amazing. The big screens that go, you know, all the way across the dash and stuff. It was just, but you get out of the car again, you look back at it and you're like, eh, eh. I mean, I don't hate it, but certainly don't love it. Yeah, it's it's we had a, a GLS over the weekend, not the Maybach one actually, named G one, which which was, and I took the took the family up uh, up to the mountains in it, and and my wife suddenly turned around to me, this thing's one hundred and sixty grand, and she said, if you like, if you take the big like star badge, which is really really big and ostentatious on those ones, you take that away, like why does it look like a Kia? And I said, well, it kind of looks like a Kia because what you've got several requirements you've got like legislative requirements around safety you've got aerodynamic requirements you've got packaging requirements so once you're like i remember talking to ian callum jaguar's designer about about all this and they said the challenge of designing something different is once you put all those touch points on paper you kind of start off with the same box and then it's like how you finesse the details 
And so when they've got that into EV world, I mean, Mercedes is sort of, I think to your point, it's like, oh, it needs to look aero and a bit more futuristic, but still look like a Mercedes so we don't, you know, upset traditional buyers and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, and I think we were expecting, as a company and as a, a test team, we expected massive things from the EQS, which was like their first kind of bespoke real EV at that point, or first sort of luxury EV into the U.S., and it was a bit disappointing and it just felt, you know, that there's, there's serious compromise that car rear headroom, rear comfort, which is weird because it's a sort of S class sedan and Mercedes BMW has taken the view. And we talked about this last week that they're just going to do one car and then give you the choice of either electric or gas propulsion. So you can have a five series or you can have an I five, a seven series or an I seven. And it's pretty much the same thing. Mercedes basically said that brings too many compromises. We're going to spend the money and we're going to do an S-Class sedan, which is gas, or we're going to do an EQS, which is electric, but which is, you know, bespoke. So, you know, you kind of imagine that if they're going down that route, it's going to be mega. And, you know, I think the EQE SUV and the EQS SUV are better than the sedans. But even the EQE sedan, the EQE sedan, which I drove recently, even the AMG version just left me a bit cold, to be honest. Yeah, it's all right, but it's not. It's not. You don't get into think, my God, I'm driving the future. Right. Although on the design, it's less it's, impressive they're, they're, in many they're ways. They're trying to get than, to it, and it's just, it's just a, yeah, it's just a weird, slick looking kind of interesting thing. And I, I know they're, they're, they're trying to give it kind of a grill, but it's not really a grill. You know, but they don't need the grill. So, what are they doing on the front? And yeah, it's like I I thought, you know, a CL five hundred was was a cool looking Mercedes. You know, uh, this is not that. <laughs> I quite like the new SL. I think this is slightly polarizes, but I quite like the new. I quite like the new SL. Yeah. Um, there's still something special about a Mercedes SL because of all the, the heritage and the history. You know, that's a nice thing. I love the new, I tell you what is an amazing piece of Mercedes design, the, the new AMG GT, the coupe that I, I saw that in Monterey. That was a, that's the very cool looking car. They're just the proportions and the, the way it sits. Right. So excited about that one. Yeah. So now to your point, they can do it. They can make a nice looking car. I just don't think they're, they're getting it done on the, uh, on the electric ones, you know, but I, I don't know, maybe, maybe the benefit is, is in how it, how it rides or, you know, it's performance, meaning range and, and yeah, you know, which no, is, no, which no is, air, you know, like, you know, uh, but, uh, noise, you know, wind noise and stuff. But I still, I still think the best looking SU, best looking EV out there is the the Lucid, and the Lucid's an amazing piece of design. I know we've had our challenges with the one that we bought, and a, a lot, you know, it's been a challenge with some of the reliability and stuff. But as a just as a, a, a some of the engineering's fantastic, but as a piece of design, it's fabulous as well. It looks, you know, it looks expensive, it looks different, but not in a way that kind of puts you off. It's, I think, it's just brilliantly executed i think it's interesting I, I i think there's mixed reviews on the design um that light bar in the front when i see it lit up like that all i think is robocop's helmet but uh <laughs> with the mouth hanging down like the human mouth with the that, robocop that does age you though 
Robocop's helmet really ages you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they did a reboot of that movie not too long ago, but yeah, but definitely the, That's what, the early 90s. Yeah, Robocop, early 90s. Yeah. Um, by the way, Maybach, 97 to like 2013 was the was that initial run. 2012, somewhere around there, 97. So you were. That? I thought it was pre 2008. Yeah, so you okay. you were on the Concord in 97, 98. Uh, but maybe that was the concept. Maybe yeah. that was the concept. No, maybe no, this, I was on the that would be early two. That would be early 2000. So it'd be like 2003, 2005, something like that. But I think that was an early concept, not the uh, not the production car. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, Lucid Lucid's good. Um, I think Lucid's better than Mercedes, as far as the look on it now as a I piece think. of design yeah and also yeah. some of the packaging i mean that's the other thing like the lucid's an amazing job of some of the packaging if they just the lucid's problem is more about sort of building the thing and and also with all of these startups i didn't you saw in the week there was a piece of data came out a report on on rivian and i think rivian's losing like 30 odd thousand dollars per car that they build so the car costs 30 odd thousand dollars more than they can sell it for and you know this is a challenge with a startup you just need to get to scale quickly and you know it's a bit challenge for lucid it's a right. challenge for rivian and obviously people like mercedes are trying to still run this as a more of a traditional business rather than a kind of startup model so changes the dynamic do, a little do you bit. think companies like lucid and rivian and they're kind of at the top of the list of potentially could really make it but i wonder if they can make it uh and and honestly it's, I'm, I'm not I, I mean i'm not as close to the to the finances i mean rivian i think rivian's got a better product lineup at a better price point and is also a little bit diversified with the amazon deal where they're making electric bands for amazon as well lucid i think has got the wrong product at the wrong price um in terms of a luxury sedan and they're just not making enough vehicles there i think they do about six seven thousand last year and they're trying so, to be aggressive you know, they, on on a, on a pricing and a leasing model now on on you know the entry level version of it. They're trying to make it yeah, which which know. is a trick to move volume, but isn't necessarily moving volume at, at a at a profit a profitable way. They need to get their SUV into the market, um, and they need to get some some scale. I mean, Lucid has um, Saudi Arabian finance behind them, which might help. Um, so I think with all of these things, you know, it is unbelievably difficult, and we. You know, at Edmunds, we've been quite critical of some of the build issues that we've had with our Lucid and some of the test cars. And, you know, we have some difficult phone calls about that. And that's, you know, that's understandable because there's a lot at stake here. Launching a car company is unbelievably difficult. And you saw with Tesla how long it took them to get the build quality up to an acceptable level. And even even today, there's still some question marks around Tesla's ultimate ultimate build. Um, you know, and and now they don't you know tesla had a 10-year head start on everybody else whereas lucid and rivian and others don't you know they're suddenly getting into a market where people like you know bmw porsche mercedes are already here and and established and building you know building good product whereas tesla was the only game in town so people forgave them more because there wasn't really an alternative so i think it's so much harder to launch launch a new brand today and then of course you know you've also got all the you know chinese brands and you know are driving the volvo next week um, i'm off to barcelona uh, in spain to drive the ex30 which is volvo's new entry-level electric suv that's going to have a super aggressive price point 
and you know that that's that's obviously you know Volvo's obviously got Chinese money behind it now. So there's you know there's this whole sort of cavalry coming from across the world, and you know not to mention you know the Japanese brands when they eventually get their act together in the EV world, and then the Korean brands doing fantastically well. You know Kia, Hyundai making some fantastic EVs. So it's just really difficult, and the market, particularly in Lucy's case, for luxury sedans where the cheapest one is, what, 80 grand, and then it goes up from there. You know, it's, it's just not a very big market these days. And I think that the the opportunity to be acquired as a company, I think that's sort of passed. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to be really looking um, aggressively at, at Lucid or Rivian or some of the other brands that we don't get to talk about, like Mullen and some of the other ones. I don't think anybody's looking at them, even Fisker, uh, looking at them and going, we need to acquire this brand because they're not, there isn't any one of them that are really doing it so well that somebody looks at it and goes, this is worth a multi-billion dollar acquisition. It's, so, is there is there sort of equity in the brand? I mean, that's where, you know, you've seen over the years, like Lotus keep changing hands, Aston Martin keep changing hands. And, you know, that famous joke about, friends of um david brown you know db5 was was asking for you know could they have a car at could they have a car at cost and he said yeah that'll be like 20 grand more than uh, this is in the 50s or 20 grand more than than what i'm charging yeah it's <laughs> aston i don't think aston claimed to have made money in the ford era but i think that was only if you can't only because they were able to amortize so much costs across the ford empire but but you know aston martin lotus they've just got so much brand equity that people just keep dreaming and keep buying them. And now, you know, Lotus is actually probably in a better place than it's been in for, for, for decades. You know, Aston Martin is, you know, has got, has got, you know, decent money behind it again, is doing some, some, some good products. So, you know, these are, but these are, but these are long-term heritage brands, you know, somebody might take a look at something like Lucid or Rivian and say, actually there is, you know, it's a great opportunity to, to appeal to a slightly different audience, more of a kind of, you know, tech forward, uh, you know, kind of uh, audience than you know our traditional brand ap appeals to, but uh, yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, you know, it's 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 hard. I mean, we 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 sometimes feel as a, you know as a consumer brand, our job is to call the product as we see it, and basically to say to car shoppers, would you would do we advise you to buy this car here and now? Would we advise you spending you know eighty a hundred grand on this vehicle? And we have to give an, an honest assessment of that. And sometimes right. that's, that, that's tough, particularly when it's a, you know, when it's a startup, but we all want them to succeed. You know, it's sometimes case, oh, you know, you're hard on this, you're hard on that. That's your reality is as, as car people, you want to see Lucid succeed because there's lots of stuff in that car that's fantastic. You want to see Rivian succeed because it's shaking up the market. You want to see Tesla succeed or well, Tesla is succeeding, but you want to, you know, you want to see that journey um because it, it generally you know shakes up the whole market but doesn't mean that you can then go around and say oh this is fantastic if it's not right like lucid wouldn't be something we could recommend at this time <laughs> depends i mean they're getting i think they're getting better um you know the very latest ones are much better and you know, so I think, you know, particularly with some of the lease deals going on, you know, if you can lease one for 750 bucks a month, which is the deal that was being thrown around my Instagram, yeah. actually it becomes a pretty desirable proposition. So I think you just have to accept that you go into it and but all of these products from startups, you know, it's not necessarily the same ownership experience as you would get from a BMW or a, or a Porsche. 
not that they're always faultless, but you know, you've got to, you know, but there is an excitement about having the shiny new thing as, as we know. Yeah. Okay. We're still so, waiting for our Fisker actually as well, for that matter. We, oh, we and I, buy a Fisker I'm, and that's, I'm seeing them. I saw one this morning. I just saw. Well, they're uh, headquartered in the headquartered about a mile from where I live. So you would hope you would hope you'd see a handful, but uh, yeah, we're still waiting. Still waiting. I, I've seen that. two on the road in like around town in my neighborhood. Although it could be the same one that I saw twice, but uh, I don't know slightly different neighborhoods. You know, in my in my area, and I I passed one this morning. Um, but it was weird. I was like backing out and I was like, why is this person driving behind me when they clearly see that I'm backing out? Anyway, it was a Fisker. <laughs> Maybe they're trying to figure out how to drive, you know, figure out the buttons and the screen and tilt it around. And they're like, I just got in this thing. I don't know what's going on. Um, uh, but I, I uh, remember like I had some neighbors say, guys, you see so many Rivians, Rivians around here. And I was like, you know, no, we're actually on the demo route because Rivians like in El Segundo where we live, we're like on the yeah. demonstrations. So it's basically the same like test drive route going around every day. It's like, so many Rivians. Yeah, that's Fisk, actually a good I mean, point. Fisk is, in, Fisk is interesting because they're actually getting the same people to make the car as make BMWs and Mercedes-Benz, Magna Steyr, which is in Austria, I think. And they yeah. made G-Wagons for years. So they they basically, there are, probably not a lot of people know this, but it doesn't, BMW or whatever doesn't necessarily make, they do have their own factories, but they also outsource some of this stuff and you know they they at least know how to make cars which is an interesting twist to the business model is well if the problem is building the things rather than designing them then let's get somebody else to build them and we'll just do the design and the marketing and all the shiny stuff so we'll see and also fisk is coming into the market at a much lower price point so they're going to have to drive volume at that place. So it's 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 really interesting. I mean, who will make it through and he'll be around in four or five years and which Chinese brands will be here? You know, then you've got like VinFast, the Viennese brand. It's 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 a really interesting time. And, you know, in, in 10 years time, the market's going to look different again. I like Fisker's strategy because so many of these startup uh, uh, car companies are having issues building and having quality issues, not just supply chain issues but to for fisker to go maybe we will build the car one day at our own facility yeah they're, they're building now, their own plan they're going to do that but yeah. you know like for now why don't we get a partner that has been building cars for a long time and some pretty decent cars along the way so why don't we get them to do it i don't i like that strategy i, I think that's interesting and I don't, I don't fault them for not wanting to to build cars right away. It's a huge. It, it, listen, they're they arguably make less money per car by outsourcing it, but a far smaller cash outlay initially than going. Hey, we we need a two billion dollar factory, you know, just before yeah, we can even the make the first yeah. car, you know, and then because now. Now are, are, these companies are not just building a car; they're building an entire factory from scratch and 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 making that work before they even get to building the car. So it's a lot of money out the door. Um, so anyway, it's an interesting strategy. Uh, you mentioned BMW a second ago. I saw BMW uh, launch the new X2. Uh, what do you guys think of that? I know you're. Um, I don't know if you were there for the launch of it or if you you got a chance to drive it, but 
No, we've just seen it as a we haven't 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 driven it yet, but it's you know I think every every BMW is kind of you know at the moment with all the all the sort of you know design is 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 sort of met with a, almost a degree of trepidation. I mean, this is actually one of the more conventional looking BMWs of recent times, and the idea of the X2 is that it, it, it we have the, the, the there is an X1 which we don't have. Uh, no, we do we did have it for a while in 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 the US, but then. The X, then they have the X3, which is you know the bigger seller, but then they have the X2 is designed to be a little bit more kind of sporty in the way that the X6 right. is as well. Like yeah, a little X6 more of their the, what they're calling a coupe, I guess. Yeah, uh, and 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 this is what this is. It looks okay. I mean, it's 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 a sort of how would you describe it? I mean, it's still got that kind of like contemporary BMW thing with like the big grill and and, and some sharp angular. lines. There's it's still a, a lot of sharp lines to it, but uh, but look in, in the lineup of funky looking BMWs, this is this ranks high. This is pretty nice. It's I guess yeah, I mean less they, funky is how they did it. Yeah, and I think we'll see that. I mean, obviously the five series is more conservative. The next generation X five will be more conservative. So it's. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it look, I think it looks okay. It's not going to be a huge seller in the US, but it's, um, yeah, it's. Uh, why won't it sell in the US? I think there's something it's, interesting it, to say about it. it. Why it's, won't it sell in the US? I mean, we like SUVs, and we're leaning more toward small SUVs, and and I guess this isn't all electric, and maybe maybe an electric version would be interesting, but. Uh, I think the X3 is the big sellers, just too small or too, yeah, too 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 small and too expensive. Yeah, it's a practicality thing, particularly in the US. You know, a lot of these things are driven by, bought by, you know, families and things like that. And the X3 is, uh, the X3, like the GLC, is actually quite a good, you know, a good size family vehicle, Mm -hmm. like a, you know, like a Toyota RAV4, but, but posh. The X2 is just that little bit smaller, that little bit more compromised in space. So it works well in Europe and they don't tend to sell a huge amount over here because nobody likes spending a lot of money on something quite small. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because there isn't really a penalty. Even with gas costs as, as high as they are, particularly in California, there's still not a big penalty for you know, for choosing space. But a lot of these hard ed- edges and the shapes and stuff that BMW is going to um, didn't we did all this with Lamborghini, right? Maybe we're still doing it with Lamborghini. Yeah, but Lamborghini has a yeah, Lamborghini's in a different place, though, isn't it? Lamborghini is supposed to be like a massive extrovert thing. I, I don't know. I think a lot of it comes from Chinese market as well, where you know, like Chinese tastes, or where you know, if you're if that you're now thinking of that as your dominant market, perhaps then that then you know you need something that stands out and makes a statement. I don't know. I'm excited by potentially the the next generation BMW design with some of the recent concepts, but I'm not sure they needed to be, you know, their argument is it's a super crowded marketplace. You've got to be expressive. You've got to, you've got to give people a reason to buy you rather than just here's another BMW. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, they're a pretty successful company. They probably know more than me about it. (laughs) Maybe. We're not 100 percent sure. All right. So, sometimes uh, you say that, and then sometimes you just realize, like they stop. You know, like these things aren't selling because they're really ugly. Yeah, that's it. Like, well, sometimes they just don't sell. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you're 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 going to head to Europe to drive Volvo EX30. Uh, 
Yeah, the EX30, which which I'm really excited which, about because this I, is I'm, a. I'm interested as well. First of all, I, I'm I'm a fan of Volvo. I think their design is on point. Um, the the shared tech or whatever the relationship officially is with Polestar, I I like what's going on there. Um, as you know, I just did Rensport. I went up to Rensport and the uh and the Volvo S90, uh, recharge. Um, I didn't do a lot of recharging, but I did drive that. And that was a nice ride. Uh, that's a really nice sedan and, big... and comfortable and a great seat. And and it was, a, it was a really nice car to drive. And seeing what they're going to the do big thing about on this... the EV end is interesting. Yeah. And the ahead. big thing about this EX30 is that, you know, the, so, so I cut you off, Matt, but, you know, they're talking about a starting price of 35 grand. And if you yeah. then apply a tax credit to that, you're talking about a Volvo EV with you know, a decent size and proper and, and proper range for under 30 grand. So I hate to use the, you know, there's this always cliche about game changer and stuff, which is an expression I loathe, but this is, has the potential to be a really significant vehicle. So quite excited. I'm heading out to um, Barcelona for a couple of days next week to uh, see everybody in, in, in there in Volvo and um, have a drive. So maybe we can uh, talk about that next week. It's sharp looking. It's got a good, you know, it's got a good, it's going to be small, but it's. it. Yeah, it's smallish, but it doesn't. I don't think you look at that and say, oh, this is a cut price car. No way. Right. And Volvo to me still feels above average as far as like they're trying to go after. Yeah. I don't even know if we call Volvo a luxury brand, but I guess they're kind of going after what maybe accurate. Yeah, I think, would, I, I think accurate. you would still think a luxury brand. So to say that, Hey, you can get into this thing for, you know, for 35 grand or less with, with certain incentives, but uh, yeah, it just, it, if you said 45 grand, I'd be like, that's fine. That's fine with me. Cause I'm getting a Volvo and I'm getting a luxury vehicle. It almost sounds like it's too inexpensive. Like, like they're going down market. Like I just don't want you to get there and go, yeah, the EX30 is nice, but if you're going to get the $34,000, $35,000 version, don't expect much. But if you get the yeah. $43,000 version, then it's a nice vehicle. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a bit of that. We'll find out. Yeah. We'll find out. <laughs> I got a long flight. Yeah. <laughs> you got a long flight. Um, all right, let's uh, it's not very, very eco friendly, is it? Flying to Barcelona to drive an EV, to drive an EV, fly to Barcelona let's, back to um, drive an EV, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, it, let's not think about that. Let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Um, uh, what do you I say? We're, about I think, that till I said it. <laughs> I think we're wrapping things up. I think we're uh, we're wrapping things up for the for the week anyway. Um, uh, what's coming up on you, drags, besides? us <laughs> in some future uh, episode <laughs> besides us i can't get the game away matt it would be wrong it's highly confidential but all i can say is subscribe to the edmunds youtube channel uh, if you just look for edmunds cars you will find all the latest you drags and everything else that we're testing we can do in the x30 drive and all sorts of cool stuff all right. Fair enough. We'll take it. Um, Edmunds.com is the website, as you guys know, and uh, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Um, 
yeah we'll, we'll catch you guys next week until next time yeah, and thanks for all the thanks for all the the insight so getting instagram messages that we run cars and stuff i know you do as well and it's it's nice to hear from everybody so thank you for that yeah hey listen so far so good i got more positive messages than anything now actually i got only positive oh, messages on the show that's good so people seem to like your british oh, that's nice. <laughs> unlike my youtube <laughs> yeah youtube is a different audience uh, thanks yeah. guys uh, until next time keep the air in the spare and the bag of the wheel for the latest updates and call in times follow the show on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at CarCast Show if you'd like to write in fill out the form on CarCastShow.com and don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes CarCast is a Corolla digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana for more information visit CarCastShow.com Show.com.